As residents across Kansas and the United States debate the role of race and sexual orientation in public policy, similar debates have been playing out on a smaller scale at community and school libraries. The question, what kinds of books should children and teenagers be able to read? My name is Clay Wirestone, and I'm the Kansas Reflector's opinion editor. In this week's podcast, we talk with three columnists who have read some of these challenged books and hear what lessons they've learned. We start this series of conversations with the person who sent in the first review. Lori Brock is an author who has worked in programs and publications for the Salina Arts Center as a college and community writing instructor and as director of a foundation-funded artist development project in Salina. Fittingly, her interest was piqued when a book was challenged in the town. Lori, thanks for joining me. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, the book that you read and wrote about. Thanks, Clay, for asking me. I'm really happy to talk about All Boys Aren't Blue, which has the subtitle A Memoir Manifesto, which I find really interesting, that doubling of the idea of memoir, the story of someone's life, being also a manifesto or a statement of beliefs or, you know, a flag in the ground. And George M. Johnson wrote it um, and well, I think he wrote it before 2020, but that was the year that it was published. And he was a young, he is a young black queer writer who was uh, inspired by his own life, by popular culture, by his reading to write the book that he didn't have when he was growing up. And what stays with me after having read it um, last spring is the story of his family, actually, his incredible bond with a family that didn't understand him, um, yet supported him and raised him in ways that uh, facilitated his writing voice. So it's a story of coming of age, and it's uh, aimed at 14 through 18-year-olds. And and the the piece that you, you wrote about uh, this book also includes uh, some mentions of The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, just tell me a little bit about how how you reacted to the book. What did you, how did you feel as, as you were reading it? Um, I felt, I felt that the book wasn't for me. <laughs> I felt that the book was absolutely aimed at its 14 through 18 year old uh, readers that it was a book that was um, uh, documentary and personal uh, rather than artistic. And so that's why I brought in James Baldwin, who is always artistic. And that's my own personal need as a reader is for uh, gorgeous sentences. And I don't just mean that in terms of surface beauty. I mean that in terms of meaning and in terms of resonance. So um, that was important for me to to think about Baldwin's own black queerness, uh, writing in 1963 in The Fire Next Time, about um, about America. And he continues to be such an important prophet in my reading eyeballs. Well, I uh, I mean, just within the last week or so, I I found some 
writing by James Baldwin on. I mean, it's it's very it's. I mean, he's a remarkable writer just in the mm-hmm. sense that I think the the way he writes about things is. I mean, it's incredibly pertinent to to his time and to our time. Absolutely, it, it seems to have lost no 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 relevance at all. I know it's sort um, of amazing. <laughs> um, so so talk a little bit. Um, you um, have real ties in the Salina area. So talk about kind of the history. I mean, you know, we're going just a few months back this year now, back to to May or so. Um, what made this book? Uh, controversial in the Salina area, kind of what what happened there? I can't tell you the whole story, although I have spoken with teachers and I have spoken with the um, public information person at the district. But I can tell you part of the story, which is that parents, um, or actually I should I should just call them Salina residents because in in the case of both uh, parents, both individuals who brought. The challenge to the school board, none of them had students in in the district. One of them was, one family was homeschooled. The other family took their students out of the public school into into a private school because of masking requirements during COVID. So um, these were individuals who found sections of the book to be objectionable, uh, specifically sections that described sexual behavior and um they they challenged the South High School library where the where the book was and continues to be on the shelf and um the what happens in Salina is that the uh, building puts a committee together when there's a challenge and the building committee which is the principal and the librarian and a teacher and and you know maybe somebody else uh said that we have we followed our library selection guidelines and this book is absolutely appropriate for our readers and so it was appealed by these individuals and the district put together a committee that had community members on it and more more people from the district they they made the same findings it was appealed yet again and that was appealed to the school board which is the final recourse for anybody challenging a book and the school board um, had such a thoughtful response um, that uh, I quote in the piece about um, about why they chose to keep the book in the library, which is where it, where it continues to be in the high school libraries. And I was concerned, Clay, because I have a 30-year relationship with the Salina School District. My son graduated from uh, high school there in 2005, and I started out when he was five in kindergarten as a parent um, volunteer in his kindergarten class. And uh, I've been a teaching artist in the Salina district for that long or almost that long. I get to go into classrooms uh, mostly today, these days, middle school, alternative school and high school classrooms to work with students on creative writing. We usually focus on poetry, but sometimes we write short fiction too together. And because I know the district in that way over that long term, I just had such, I continue to have such respect for the teachers there um, whose classrooms that I've been privileged to enter are so filled with respect for and trust for, for students and children as, as individuals. And 
I was thinking as I was reading about the challenge, how people challenging books or working for parent control, which I think is the latest sort of move, might spend a year in and out of the the classroom uh, of their own students' classrooms or other classrooms if they have a way of of getting inside them um, and and really listening and seeing what's going on in classrooms and seeing what's going on in the way that students are treated as as um, intelligent and thoughtful and reasonable human beings uh, who can get together in a group and have interesting and significant conversations. And I think that would help people understand uh, how education works these days and how contemporary students are dealing with these major issues of our time. Sure. And, I mean, I think that kind of goes into my my last question for you which is what do you wish that the folks who challenged this book or the folks who were kind of caught up in this this action in Salina what do you wish that they could have gotten out of the book if if they had read it or if they had experienced it my wish always is for book challenges and book bans uh for those who are concerned um to actually first read the entire book, to not focus on passages, um, but to read it as a whole for its literary and educational merit. Um, And in this case, I think that the literary and educational merit is filled with um, the currency of today's popular culture, which is culture, which has importance. Um, It's filled with uh, education for students who have been sexually abused, for students, which is a theme, um, who are struggling with their sexuality, which all adolescents, it's part of the adolescent plan to, to experiment and struggle with sexuality, identity, and a lot of other things, morality, beliefs. It's just what we're supposed to be doing then as as developing human beings. Um, I I really feel strongly that um, it's a book for young adults, but adults can broaden their world uh, by reading about people different that from them. Well, uh, Lori, thank you so much uh, for for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. Sure. Fun to talk. Thank you. A controversy in St. Mary's inspired me to ask our next columnist to read a challenged book. Erie Riffle is a graduate student studying higher education administration at the University of Kansas, where she serves as both an academic advisor and assistant complex director. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Yes, thank you for inviting me. So you read a book called Melissa. It was originally, I believe, titled George that has caused some controversy up in St. Mary's. So just let's start. What's what's the book about? Tell me a little bit about it. Okay, so the book Melissa is about a young trans girl who is coming out um, in middle school. Um, And so the book really is just that journey of not only accepting oneself, but also figuring out how to tell others um, and the fear associated with doing so. 
um, and just starting that journey um, towards making that change, how to becoming and, more authentic self. Sure. And as as you read this book and thought about it, you know, what were your reactions? I really, I really love this book, um, and I, I, I will say, I will say this also in my um, report that I'm also writing as well on it. Um, I really wish I had this book when I was a kid um, because I had a lot of the feelings that Melissa um, shares with the reader in the book about not feeling right within one's own body, um, but also a trepidation in how they can share that with others. What are your classmates going to think? What are your parents going to think? Um, and so I think it's a, honestly, I think it's a really good tool that not only um, gives transgender kids representation, but also a feeling of acceptance within themselves um, and can also be um, a guide to helping cisgender students also understand um, what their transgender friend might be going through. Um, and if they don't have a trans friend, it might help them develop empathy um, for, for those other students and for their other friends. Now, what do you think about the book? And I, I guess I should add mm -hmm. here that I, I had suggested that, uh, to you that you might be interested in, in taking a look at it for this piece. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think um, led to the controversy in, in St. Mary's? What, what do you think uh, parents might have been reacting to up there? Yeah, so I don't quite know and don't want to assume necessarily all of the identities or beliefs of the parents or religious beliefs. However, St. Mary's is um, a population that's highly Catholic. Um, and so I feel there's a clash between someone's religious views um, and with this book. I, I think it really just comes down to um, a willful ignorance or belief in um hate through religion, which is what they use to justify this hate. Um, and that's what causes parents to come up um, and be susceptible to the demonization of not only trans kids, but adults who are supportive of trans kids as well as trans adults themselves. Yeah. And I mean, I think something that you, you mentioned in, in your column about the book that I found really interesting is so much of the rhetoric around trans kids in schools recently is this idea that somehow something secret and bad is happening that's being hidden from the adults and children's lives. And yet one of the points of the book, Melissa, is really about communication with adults and being able to say kind of what the main character is going through in her life to them. Yeah, and that's one thing I really liked that was highlighted in the book by the author. But also, I think that's something that we need to contextualize that that's not, that's not just fiction either. The best way to support trans youth, yes, they do need to feel safe, but they also need to be working with um, other adults, their parents, to help them through that process. And there's no way for them to begin that process without that support. I, um, I do have the um, electronic version of the book, the ebook. Um, and one of the, I have it pulled up on page 92, 93. Um, it's a conversation between Melissa um, and her mom where she, she says, mom, I'm a, I'm a girl. Um, and eventually in the conversation, 
Uh, Melissa asks, are you upset with me? And her mom says, no, um, but I think you need someone to talk to. I could probably use someone too, someone who knows about these things. And so the fact that the author mentioned that of mom also needs support with Melissa is really important because this is not a journey that a child can take alone and shouldn't take alone. Um, and so I think that's important to emphasize um, because no one is sneakily trying to get a, a kid to transition their gender. That's not happening. And that's something that is being shared um, purposefully um, when it's simply not true. Well, and, and I also think, you know, I was having a conversation um, with someone, uh, you know, with, with another one of our, our authors about this. And there's just something, I think there's something about books, right? Where books are a kind of a individual medium, right? You're experiencing the book. It's not something mm -hmm. that's floating out there in, in the air. And so even the act of a, reading a book can sometimes seem like a little bit of a secret um, to, to like a parent who's like, oh, I don't know. What are they reading? What's what's going on there? When e even if the book is saying, hey, you need to communicate openly. Yeah, and I, I think it's that deep personal connection with the book that I'm an English teacher. So that's why I really enjoy it um, is that you can get so deeply invested in them. Um, and that's why that representation is so, so important. Um, mm -hmm. So the book, oh, sorry. I was, no, go ahead, please. I was going to say, so with the books, um, wondering if that's a secret or you're keeping it a secret from your parents. Um, there's a, there's a lot of content in books that are, aren't banned, um, that someone could argue for. And I feel that censorship is going down a very dangerous road of, we want to censor LGBTQ representation in books, yet heterosexual relationships are in the majority of the books that kids already read. So there's this level of high scrutiny that LGBTQ um, friendly books are put under that isn't happening between um, heterosexual feelings that are common themes for a majority of kids' books already. Sure. And so, so finally, what would you say to the folks who challenged this book or who were questioning about it uh, up in St. Mary's? What would you, what would you say that you think they could get out of the book? Yeah. So if you're challenging this book, I really suggest you, you do a deep dive and read it. Um, because right now I feel that a lot of people are jumping the gun um, or just jumping into assumptions that are being made by people who already fit your political views or who are going to stir you up. Um, listen to your trans, um, to the trans community, listen to people who are supportive. Um, because if you don't give this book the time of day, then you'll really, you could really be hurting children. Um, and that is what none of us want. And I think that is what's central to this whole debate or this whole conflict right now is there's an assumption that kids are being hurt and that's simply not the case. Um, yeah. So I would, I would say do the work, read the book. Um, think and think, think with an open mind um, because it's okay to grow as a person um, and it's okay to realize, 
hey, maybe that's what I was thinking back then wasn't in line with what I, how I feel now. That's just growing, and that's okay. Well, Erie, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you, Clay. Finally, to take the long view, I turned to our columnist, Mark McCormick. He's the former executive director of the Kansas African American Museum and a member of the Kansas African American Affairs Commission. He's also the deputy director of strategic initiatives at the ACLU of Kansas. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so to start from kind of the organizational perspective, I'm sure the the ACLU in Kansas has has looked at that, has had concerns about this. What's kind of the landscape as you understand it with kind of books being challenged in various venues around the state? Um, this is a really interesting question, Clay, because I have said for years that if you want to know what's happening in the wider culture, you need to visit a school or be plugged into what's happening in school. And so the discussions and the debates that we're having in the culture uh, about censoring books, about what information uh, kids would have access to either in the library or in the classroom, it's being played out now in these book bands. And uh, we get calls fairly frequently uh, whenever there is a particular book or a series of books or an author who is being threatened um, with what is essentially um, being canceled because there's content in, in the book that, you know, a parent somewhere uh, may not want for their kids, but they're making the decision that no one gets to explore these books or these ideas. And it is concerning to us at the ACLU of Kansas. Now, you and I were discussing a little bit uh, before we uh, started recording this about just the challenge sometimes when you're a parent and you're trying to introduce your kids to the kind of the wider world and and how that kind of interacts with all of this. So I wondered if you could just say a little, you know, talk a little bit about that. You know, um, some of the arguments that are being made about you know, racial content, racial historical content, book contents. Uh, I think they come from an honest place where parents want to make sure that their kids aren't being pushed into discussions, perhaps that they may not be ready for. Uh, I'm sympathetic to that idea. I also think that there are people who are weaponizing this discussion in an attempt to shut down any discussion about these warts that we have as Americans. It doesn't mean that people don't love America. It just means that maybe they love it enough that they feel like we ought to be discussing these things. Um, as the parent of four black boys, this is a discussion that uh, I've carried around for years and have wrestled with the idea of what do I share with my kids in order to prepare them for how society is likely to treat them because they're African-American versus the idea of, am I somehow stealing a little bit of their innocence, stealing a little bit of their childhood uh, in the process? And this becomes something that I've been trying to balance over time. And these are discussions that I've had with my kids um, 
bless you. Uh, these are discussions that I've had with my kids and um, they, they aren't easy. So again, while I am sympathetic to the idea that there may be parents who are concerned about what's happening uh, at the library or um, what's happening at school, um, I've just never heard of a parent, you know, upset that their kids might be reading too much and that wrestling with these ideas helps people mature. And I also think that it makes them more compassionate and it gives them insight to, to the kinds of, uh, the kinds of things that we're seeing, uh, you know, happening in terms of news and what's happening socially in the country. So, um, I was sharing with you earlier that, you know, this was something that I've wrestled with, you know, as a parent. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's 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 also so interesting because I think part of the concern about books sometimes is that reading a book can be a very personal experience because it's you and the page as opposed to something like a computer game or a movie or or TV where it's just kind of out in the air and it's kind of um you know kind of telling you how to feel about it with with a book it's a much more kind of intimate thing and you don't know what your kid what the, a kid might be thinking exactly. or how they might be reacting oh yeah i mean i i think that that's one of the joys of reading where you can uh, completely immerse yourself in uh, another place or another way of thinking and again, I think that just makes us better people. But it also, I think, can make it seem dangerous. You know, if you want to have this idea of I want to know everything that my kid is interacting with or seeing, then the idea of the book, the secret book, or <laughs> that's not that it's even secret, um, I think can be a challenge for some yeah, people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough, but I feel like I have license to say this because I am a parent. But our kids are doing things that we don't know about. And if you think as a parent that you have a handle on absolutely everything that the kid is thinking or taking in, um, you're probably fooling yourself. I think what's better, and this is the, the path that I've taken, I'd rather my kids have the tools of discernment. Um, I want them to be people who question everything that is said to them and even what I say and, and question everything that they read and become people who can actually think. Um, and, and that's what I feel like at times is missing from the debate. Um, we're trying to teach people to think. We're trying to teach young people to think and to question, um, not indoctrinate. Well, and that in and that involves reading things that you may disagree with, or yeah. perspectives of people who live very different lives than you. Um, and I think that's, I mean, just speaking as someone who writes writes opinion columns, I think people sometimes misunderstand, you know, the the argument, you know, making an argument or being persuasive like that doesn't just involve standing in a corner; it involves understanding a the people that you're arguing against. Well, quite. I mean, if it was this easy to indoctrinate uh, kids by forcing them to read or not read something, um, I think our society would look very different. Um, I do feel like there's a little bit of hysteria here, um, some overthink, some groupthink, um, uh, 
and and I don't know. I I'm I'm sim I'm sympathetic, you know, because uh, I'm sympathetic to any helicopter parent because you know I love my kids and I want what's best for them and I want to protect them. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to let go a little bit and let them experience things. So again, I'm sympathetic to that, but again. I think there are people who have weaponized this conversation, commandeered it, and they want to use it to shut down any discussion about issues that they are concerned about or uncomfortable with. And they want to pretend that, you know, certain people and certain events just don't exist or didn't exist. And that's just not the case. And I, I frankly don't think you're, you're preparing uh, kids for the world. Uh, if you're preparing them for a pristine world. Absolutely. Um, so to kind of, of wrap up here, we were talking a little bit uh, about um, some lists of books that have been challenged, things that um, have, have come up recently. And I was, was asking about things that had resonated with, with you on that list. Yeah. Um, one of the books on that list had to do with um, the bluest eye. And there's a there were a series of books that I read uh, in succession that that had a huge impact on me. Um, I remember reading uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X and feeling like a veil had been lifted. I remember reading Native Son. Uh, I remember reading If Beale Street Could Talk. I remember reading um, Their Eyes Were Watching God. And uh, about that time, uh, I was introduced to The Bluest Eye, and The Bluest Eye is on that list. And it seems to me that that would be a book that every Kansan should read, not because it has uh, a particular uh, significance to where we are geographically, but when you think about what people know about the state, a lot of people know about uh, the Brown decision Brown uh, v. Board, and um, those experiments that Dr. Kenneth Clark did, where he asked black children and he asked white children, which doll is smart and which doll is pretty? And then which doll looks like you? And we all kind of watched in horror, those of us who've seen this, when black children's were asked, you know, which is the stupid doll and which doll looks like you, they all pointed to the black doll. And so, you know, this this notion about um, who was beautiful and who was not and who was smart and who was not, um, we're still wrestling with these issues today. And that um, in the hands of a skilled teacher, um, we could do a lot to broaden the student's mind, but also perhaps rid our society um, of these kinds of thoughts and ideas um, where I feel like in in the last four to six years, uh, we've opened a, a Pandora's box that we worked really hard to jam some stuff into and we've opened it up again. Uh, and a book like The Bluest Eye is precisely the tool we need uh, to deal with all these issues that have resurfaced in a big way. I don't think they ever really receded, but we're in the middle of 
a kind of renaissance of racism. And the and that book, uh, among others, but that book really gives us the tools uh, to do the kind of analysis that we need. Okay. Well, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.